Bloody hell, has anyone got a pencil? Hello, my name's Mark, and I'm the host of the Mixtape Podcast, where every week I'll be asking my guests to make up an imaginary mixtape. Track one, what's your intro? What's your attention grabber? What's the song that's going to draw me in and make me want to listen to the rest of your mixtape? Track two, pick a song that you sing loud and proud when you're on your own in the shower or the car. Track three, get a little bit obscure and pick a track that's an album track or a B-side. Track four, pick a song that you would like to have played to your 18-year-old self. And track five, Pick a song that you would put on your mixtape to let the listener know that you are romantically interested. Don't forget to smash the plus or the follow button at the top of the page or follow me on Instagram at the mixtape birth and you'll be notified every time there is a new podcast. Thanks for joining me and I hope you enjoy this chat. Hello and welcome to another mixtape and on this week's show I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Steve Kilby from the church. How are you Steve? Hello Mr Phillips. I'm doing quite well actually. You look well mate, you look well. Um Thank are you. you are you sort of all done with the tour now with the record or have you still got more dates to play mate? Um we're going back to America. Um in October we are releasing a CD uh, deluxe digital deluxe version Mm -hmm. of our record which means basically we've recorded another 10 tracks that are like it's a companion album to the hypnagogue and it's going to come out like to sort of re-kickstart the whole thing again when we tour america right okay and were they sort of the same recording sessions you just had too much material two three of the songs are very very good songs that just could not physically fit on the last record and probably another seven or eight of them will be um will be tracks that we have written for this purpose in a break in our tour we went into a studio and recorded a bunch of new tracks that could sort of serve this purpose right okay is that just going to be cd and digital or is that going to be like a quadruple vinyl or something i I reckon the guy in America, the guy in England at Easy Action, he's absolutely nuts about double vinyl. Right, I've never so, met yeah. any, I've never met anybody so ashamedly a double <laughs> vinyl fiend, just like double yeah. vinyl for the fucking sake of it. If yeah, you're gonna yeah, have yeah. vinyl, have yeah. double vinyl is yeah. his motto. So he, I could imagine him really wanting to get into a quadruple vinyl album. So yeah. I'd say. As a limited thing, that will probably, ridiculously enough, will probably happen. And I'd like to think it's, you know, when people sit there and listen to those four sides, it's quality. You know, it's like, and it's all going to take you somewhere. So speaking of taking you somewhere, for people who haven't heard the record already, talk to us about what, what is uh, the hypnagogue, Steve? 
Okay. Um, strangely enough, I've got to say at the beginning, I was very nervous about this whole idea. And now as we have done these tours and I've talked about it on stage and critics have weighed in and fans have weighed in with their interpretation of this all and the rest of the band have taken it to their bosom and embraced it, mm -hmm. I feel the hypnagogue has a lot more substance than it did at the very beginning. But and a lot of a lot of sort of critics and like very flattering for me you critics in the uk have sort of embraced the concept and sort of talked about it and mm -hmm. and talked about the implications of it so i feel i feel like it's a lot it's not just a sort of once upon a time it was just a sort of a something i dreamed up now i feel mm -hmm. this whole idea is with all these different people contributing and thinking about it, it's taking on a much more solid feeling. So once upon a time, and there seems to be a moral moral to the story or lots of morals that I never mm -hmm. perceived when I just dreamt up the action. But the, the story concerns a guy in the future in 2054, a, a, a songwriter and, a, and a, a sort of what might be known as a rock and roll performer in those days. Think mm -hmm. of sort of like a, Think of a really maverick sort of David Bowie character. I was, I was literally I mean, just going to say a Ziggy Stardust type character. Essentially, that kind of thing. Someone wonderful and talented and all that. Anyway, for whatever reason, he dries up and he hears that a woman has invented a machine and she's having a lot of success by dragging songs out of songwriters' heads and throwing them straight up the charts. And she has a very like successful business going hoovering these hit songs out of people's heads and then pretty much discarding them and also discarding evidence that the people who are hearing these songs um, are being damaged as well by something that's very untoward going on because the whole hypnagogue is like a, it's this mysterious thing. It's like a building and it's a, it's a, it's a process and it's an event and you go in there and it's a sort of a, it's a, in, the, the scientist is also part of uh, like a necromancer and she's constructed this thing and it's made, it works on all kinds of principles and some of them are, are kind of immoral and illegal and, and probably she shouldn't be doing it. So mm -hmm. the people who hear these artificially created songs are sort of, some of them are probably driven mad by them. Um, so it's sort of like a dark thing. Anyway, when he arrives there, he falls in love with her and it all goes to hell and um, he ends up with nothing. The first thing I, I sort of sprung to mind here that I just scribbled down on my notepad so I didn't forget it while you were talking, it sort of sort of runs kind of in parallel with that idea that you're talking about there with like what's going on at the moment in the music industry with AI. What, what are your thoughts on that, Steve, if, if you've it, got any at all? It's suddenly, look, it, when, I, when I thought of this idea, it didn't, that, that AI thing because this album was made four years ago almost. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the AI thing wasn't like it is right yeah. now, like suddenly yeah. out of nowhere, yeah. this new thing has entered the field. I think um I think um it's I think AI might very well be able to write blogs and newspaper articles and things like that. I don't th and I think it very may well write some okay songs. I don't think it will ever match the Dylans and the Lennons. There's something. There's something still 
so um so um ephemeral and so fragile about the tiny things that these that that go into the thought processes of our geniuses the way our shakespeare's yeah. and our, our the people who make amazing films and and choreograph amazing ballets and the painters all of these people it's hard to imagine that the that the a machine could ever figure out what this thing is because it's so elusive it can't mm. it, you can't even really program it it's just something you can kind of you can give a machine a huge vocabulary and then you can go okay machine if you're writing a nick cave poem or mm. song concentrate on this vocabulary you know what mm. i mean yeah but it yeah. can never it can never do the thing that nick cave can do that puts that that sort of twist on it mm. that only he yeah. can do no yeah. machine can do it no other human can do it the way he can do it and each person each famous or acclaimed singer or writer has their own twist i think that they can put on things and i don't think that's the one thing this one otherwise it would be all over i think there's this one elusive yeah, yeah. thing that will always put the humans as far as this goes as far as art and lyrics and music it will always put the geniuses ahead of the machine they will always they will always be, do things that the machine the machine won't realize why what they have done is so good and it might even not yeah. be something that can be analyzed it's just a sort of a spiritual thing i don't know that's my I opinion anyway for me steve i think that the songwriting process is essentially a human experience and and the connection that that listeners get with the songwriter as another human being is what you know really drags me in as a, as a listener and, and I, you know, you hear something in the lyrics that, you know, you've experienced yourself in life and, and you get that connection straight away. And I don't think there's any, any uh, amount of, of AI songs that, that could ever um, replicate that sort of feeling or connection. That's you know? right. That's right. Um, and even if they accidentally did, they wouldn't know why. <laughs> and, and you, you would, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure in a thousand AI-generated songs, you and me could probably find something to go, oh, but mm. you know, what in once, you know, in one instance, every now and then you might go, oh, but it wouldn't be yeah. like, you know, when I hear my favorite David Bowie song, where I go, oh, yeah. the whole way through, and just yeah, go, sure. oh, yeah. how did he? So, so I agree with you. I don't think I don't mm. think a machine will hopefully he will not be able to replicate that sort of heart to heart feeling that you get when you discover a, a music that really, really reaches you. There seems to be a kind of a connection that the person making that music understands you and you mm -hmm. and knows you. And that's what's that, that thing is what really struck me when I first found like my my two guys, which were Mark Boland and David Bowie, mm -hmm. when I encountered them, having not had this happen before, even though there are lots of people I, whose music I love, but I never encountered two people who seemingly were talking straight to me and mm -hmm. sort of saw the way, saw the world the way I did, and also had an idea of a world which was really exciting to me, a world where all these concepts could all these things could sort of be um, valued and free. So I, I can't see machines doing that.
Yeah, me neither. Okay, so you mentioned Bowie there, Steve. So yeah. Let, yeah. let's get into the uh, into the meat of the of your mixtape, which I've asked you to make. And the title of your mixtape was my favourite songs of this very moment. Um, I think that's I think for everybody that's true. You know, when someone says, "What's your favourite Bob Dylan song?" You go this one, but you always have to say at the at this moment I'm saying that. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, tomorrow it'd probably be something else. So these, you know, this is my mixtape that I made at that point in time. Yeah, going what what would I put in my mixtape for this person? Yeah, absolutely, it's a snapshot. So your track yeah. one, I asked you to pick an intro, Steve. Uh, what song yeah. would you put on track one of your mixtape that's gonna that's gonna drag me in and, and want to make me listen to the rest of the tape? Well, I'm putting David Bowie's, in my opinion, my favorite David Bowie song of them all, which which does everything. Um, it's a track off his album, Diamond Dogs. And um, it's just, it starts, it starts right down low. And it, it, it's, there's some kind of machine noise and things. And then this song starts up and Bowie's right in his lower register. It almost sounds like he's been slowed down by a tape. I don't want to interrupt your flow, Steve, but I just want to mention that I, I sometimes, obviously I know Diamond Dogs and I'm aware of the song, but sometimes I Google stuff just to find out any interesting facts about it. And you touched on it straight away there. And one of the things I found out when I, when I Googled this track was um, that's the lowest note that Bowie recorded. Um, the opening line of that song is the lowest note that Bowie ever it's, recorded. It's so low. And, yeah, yeah. and you know, by the time the verse has finished, he's mm. up in this, He's up in this register um, where only he could go. Um, very few singers could could have a could have a could traverse such a huge range. But the songs, but the the reason it's the first song on on the mixtape is that incredible as it goes up and up and up, and then the second bit's in the next register, like his normal register, and then the third one is right up high, and it's so theatrical, theatrical, and aided by Mike. Garson's piano and the Mellotron. It's such a incredibly melodramatic theatrical thing, like what he started on Time, on Aladdin Sane. This kind of European theatricality, show busy sort of thing, and then the song explodes in this beautiful sort of instrumental. And it's Bowie playing all the instruments, not the bass, not the drums. He's playing all the guitars and all the keyboards except Mike Garson's piano, which is just mm. such a beautiful thing. And then it's sort of the whole song turns around into a kind of an almost velvet underground kind of kind of rocker and then comes back again for one final verse to this beautiful, and Bowie is so high up by singing so emotively. Mm. And it, the song, all the, the, the sweeping piano, and then bang, we're back into this very primitive, um, sort of distorted guitar rock out. So in yeah. this one song, Bowie treats us to all of his, all of his sort of um, the full spectrum of Bowie. Yes, his whole spectrum yeah. of David yeah, Bowie yeah. in yeah. one in one lot. It's called two songs. It's called Sweet Things and then Slash Candidate and mm. then Sweet Things. Yeah, that's it. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes I've even had the absolute heresy of been listening to sweet thing on on some device or off iTunes or something and it stops. It's like a oh, shuffle no. place and then it stops and <laughs> doesn't go on to candidate, candidate and the yeah, sweet no. thing reprise. And that to mm. me is an absolute horror like seeing That's a, sacrilege, mate. It's sacrilege. <laughs>
What, what I normally do, Steve, obviously for the podcast on Spotify, I can't play the tracks because they're licensed content. Um, but on the radio show, I drop the tracks in in between the chat, um, so we get the, we get a full experience um, of, of your of your mixtape. So for track two of your mixtape, Steve, I asked you to pick a song that you sing when you're on your own, loud and proud, in the car or in the shower, mate. What did you go with? And what did I answer? I've forgotten now. You went. You went. Seasons of Weaver by Aerosmith. Oh yes, um, I got really obsessed by this song. Um, I. I had to ask my girlfriend about this question. I said, what's a song that I sing loud and proud when I'm on my own? And she said, oh, my God, it's that Aerosmith one. And, and it's true. I couldn't stop singing it. I was walking around singing it all the time. Everybody was totally fed up with it. Um, it was a song that was, um, it was, I I used to buy all the Aerosmith's albums. Like, I really, I really liked them when I was sort of like in my late teens and I was looking for a kind of a, a, a sort of an American version of the Rolling Stones, who I also love. And I remember this song, Seasons of Wither, really struck me um, at the time. And then one day um, I was listening backstage and I had my my iPod on shuffle, my, my iPhone on shuffle, and there it played Seasons of Wither and I, it sort of reeled me. And other people came in the room and said, what's this playing? And everybody mm-hmm. was struck by this marvellous song and, there's thousands of cover versions of such a strange song. You wouldn't yeah. think there's like everybody in their animal has yeah. covered this this song by Aerosmith on their second album. Um, yeah. There's live versions of it with just Joe Perry and Steven Tyler. He's like yeah. he's like what slouching there with his arm around Joe Perry's neck as he's trying to play the guitar and the scarves singing this song. It's yeah. really it's a really marvelous song. Um, mm. But um, I don't know if me singing it a cappella on my own in the shower is very marvelous at all. <laughs> I'm a I'm a big shower singer myself, Steve, and um, yeah, I, I've always find that um, the ones that you struggle to reach, like on a day to day basis, it, it, you can always get a little bit of a boost in the shower with the with the um, with the steam and the moist air and the acoustics in the shower. It always sounds oh. a little bit better to me. Oh. Yeah. There, now there's a, there's a good tip. Look, you know what happened to me when I was ten? I was singing in the shower. I was singing always something there to remind me. And suddenly, my mother burst in the door and said, "What is it? What's wrong, son? What's wrong? What's happened?" And she thought my singing was cries of agony and oh, and okay. distress. So <laughs> that was my earliest singing in the shower experience. So we talked about um, Aerosmith there in the, in the sort of early seventies. Mm-hmm. I think that was mid mid early mid seventies. That album were they yeah, one of the yeah. bands? That, were they one of your big influences as a teenager? No, no, they were not. They were not one of my big influences. They were. Um, it it was like there was the initial wave of influences, which was um, obviously Beatles and the Stones and Dylan, who were sort of in, inescapable as you grew up, and all. And other things all around that, you know, Donovan or, you know, the birds and all, everybody. Mm. And then suddenly, you know, I discovered Mark Boland and then I discovered David Bowie. And then I kind of fell in love with them and sort of they really made me want to do something, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and then after well, them, you know, but they, they were the two that, you know, created a kind of a a real fan fanboy thing where I really idolize them. Um, so 
yeah, they're the ones that kind of stick with me. Are you able to pin it down, Steve, to like a track or an album that you heard as a, as a teenager where you go, that's what I want to do. I want to be a musician writing songs like that. Was it a Bowie or a, or a Bowling track? There were a lot of things. You know, You know, one day um, I, I couldn't afford double albums when I was a kid. One day a friend of mine ca- came round, brought me this copy of Tommy and said, here, you can borrow this for a few weeks. And I played Tommy. That sure made me want to be a musician. Just <laughs> yeah. the 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 um scope and wonder and the drama and orchestration mm. of all of that. It was sort of more like not so much to be a musician and pick up an instrument and learn to play. I think I already want to do that. But these guys made me want to sort of be more than that, be a kind of a a sort of a messenger or a, or a mm-hmm. You know, so, so I have more storyteller. Yeah, a storyteller, mm. but also like um, I wanted to do that trick they did to me. So I wanted to mm. talk to people's hearts. Mm. So when they heard my records, the ones who really loved it would go, aha, mm. you know, he's doing this for us because you've got to be a certain per- type of person to really like my stuff. And not many do. But the ones who do, when they find it, they really like it. So that's that's a sort of a bit of a payoff, you know. I saw a few weeks ago on YouTube. I don't know if you've seen it. You probably would have as a bass player. It was, I think, it was Pinball Wizard, but it was John Entwistle's bass isolated. Unbelievable, incredible yeah. playing. Like yeah, just just the isolated track of just his bass notes. Oh man, as a as a bass player and a singer, Steve was Roger Waters um, kind of in your uh, sort of sphere Roger, of influence. Yeah. Roger Waters. He's one of the most sort of uncharacteristic bass players of all, I think. He doesn't really, he's not sort of really known for his bass playing, I would have thought. Um, I was, I was, look, I was impressed with some really flashy bass players and they were like Jack, Jack Bruce and the aforementioned, the aforementioned John Entwistle Mm -hmm. and um, also Chris um, Squire from, um, yes, um, and and if, and if, I guess a few others. I was really interested in in listening to amazing bass players, but I had sort of I had never had a desire to be an amazing bass player. Being playing bass was more like my key into having yeah. a band and sort of yeah. like direct. I felt like I could direct everything from the point of view of the bass. Like mm-hmm. if I could if I could play a song on the bass and sing it, all the rest could just be able to go around that. And it would all kind of be taken care of. I was so I really do love and appreciate a really amazing bass player, but I I never had ambitions to sort of to really be one. I, mm-hmm. I just yeah, I'm sort of content to be the have to be the sort of glue that holds a load of other really good musicians together. Track three uh, of your mixtape, Steve, I asked you to pick a B-side or an album track. Yeah. Um, what did you go with, yeah. mate? Well, I've always been amazed. I was amazed by this. Um, the same friend um, who brought me around, Tommy, he brought me around um, Hot Hot Love single. Mm-hmm. And on the B-side um, was three songs. I'm talking of T-Rex. were three yeah, sure. songs. Yeah. There was a time, Raw Ramp, and whatever the third one is, the boogie one. 
Yeah. Um, electric boogie, was, is it? Uh, electric boogie. I was amazed by the quality of this song, There Was a Time. It's a it's this really beautiful song, and it only it lasts like less than a minute, but it's mm-hmm. abs it it absolutely shocked me that someone this song that someone else would have stretched into three or four minutes, it's all over, I reckon, mm-hmm. under a minute. Beautiful sort of quartet, string quartet, and yeah. this wonderful melody, and um, and then suddenly that all ends, and there's is, there's a really good Mark Boland sort of rock and with really great rhythm guitar and bongos, uh, a, a great track that easily could have been on that T Rex album I love mm-hmm. so much, which was just called T Rex. Yeah, um, and then into it the third song, which is a real throwaway. The electric boogie one is it's it's a really um it's really funny just to hear Bolan making this stuff up um and also the interesting uh, sort of a beginning of the end that mm-hmm. he sort of that you can see you can see how it would when you listen to the words of um electric boogie i'm standing by the corner of my old high school I met this female and she called me a fool. It's kind of like um, it's a long way from our people were fair and wore sky, sky in their hair. You know what I mean? He was yeah, sort of, yeah. he's starting to, he's, he's, the thing I liked about him, he reconciled kind of poetry and rock and roll. He was sort of like, mm-hmm. and then when he strays too far either side, it sort of became banal. And there on this rec, on this song here, on this B side, after these other beautiful two really one really beautiful song and another one really sort of bitchin' rockin' song. Mm. And then there's this there's this all silly Chuck Berry one, uh, where he's just yeah. having fun. Yeah. And incredible value, I thought, that you you yeah. buy a single and and there's like ten minutes of or whatever, eight minutes of music on the other side, three different, completely different songs. It was called a maxi single in those days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this is the track. Track three, I think, is when I'm asking people to make their mixtape. The track three is the one that I almost always have to Google um, because I don't, I don't, I didn't know that song before, and it struck me. And you touched on it, Steve. The orchestration and the strings on that track is really not what you expect from a T from a T Rex song. Like I was expecting, you know, some sort of chuggy riff to sort of come in, and these strings just open up. And yeah, it's, it's yeah. a beautiful track. Yeah. Awesome yeah. choice, mate. Yeah, thank you. And speaking. Beautiful tracks. Um, uh, this one, when when I saw you chose your next track, this is a track you would like to play to your eighteen year old self. I thought that's a bit left field for someone like Steve Kilby. But then I, I sort of thought, no, it's not. It's the, the orchestration on this, and it's the soundscape of of, of Sigur Ross that I love. Sorry, yeah, I've, I've already spoiler alert. Yeah, you <laughs> you chose Baltieri by Sigur Ross as your track that you would like to play to your eighteen year old self. So. What what do you think your eighteen year old self would have would have made and taken away from from that song, Steve? I think he would have understood that in the future people were making music that was far more had far less limits than what mm-hmm. was around at that time. If you if you can imagine when I was eighteen in nineteen seventy two, the kind of music that was around it was like, you know. All right now, boom, yeah. boom, boom. Yeah. Very formulaic. Yeah, a lot yeah. of. I would have marvelled that people had taken 
the same instruments that were around in 1972, just your guitars and drums and pianos and basses and stuff, and come up with something that's suddenly, it's like so dimensional and so without constraints and isn't working the way everything seemed to ha have to have worked in those days. I mean, even Bowie and Boland, to a certain extent, were still constrained by this idea. And But here are Sigur Ross, and they're like, totally kind of organic, and the music's kind of, it's like rich and organic, and it, it bleeds and it hemorrhages and it shrinks down to nothing. And then it, it comes up like a church choir, like, hit like a yeah. hymn like spiritual yeah. it's spiritual music it's like mm -hmm. his beautiful voice and the notes he hits and the melodies he carves out of all that and all the things all the other instruments are doing none of them cliche none of them owing anything yeah. to chuck berry or yeah. even kraut rock or anything you mm -hmm. can understand it's like it's sort of like classical music played on rock and roll instruments with yeah. it doesn't it doesn't do the things that rock and roll does. It doesn't like the church does, you know, boom, yeah, boom, yeah. boom, and the bass going boom, 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 the singer going, yeah, baby, I'm, or whatever <laughs> it is. These yeah. guys aren't, they're not bound in by any of that. They're just, no. they're just free form. And yet it has form. Um, it does have form. It's not, it's not just ambient, beautiful ambience. It's, it, mm. it's sort of in its own way, it kind of, it rocks and, but not in a way we would I would have understood in those days. And I think to have heard music like that back then would have immediately accelerated my learning and understanding. And I would have immediately understood that that music could exist because yeah. until, until they did it, it didn't exist. Nobody, mm -hmm. in my opinion, has ever made music like that before. That's why I think they're such a wonder, you know, because they're, they're taking the same old, form as everybody else but they're coming out with something completely different yeah it's an incredible track for sure i don't know i'm assuming have you seen the video that, that it goes along with uh yes i i have oh. yeah. i'm not into dance in any way shape or form steve but but those two dancers in that in that video and the setting where they've got the location and it's one of the most incredible things i've ever seen like the way they they interact with each other and how it builds like alongside the music there. So their sort of physical interaction builds, you know, with, with the song, unbelievable film. If, if, if you haven't had a chance to check out that, that video clip, if you're listening and you don't know that song, it's Volteri by Sigur Ross. And I would um, urge you to skip the Spotify and go straight to the YouTube video because the, the visuals on that are, are absolutely incredible as well. Okay. Last song of your mixtape, Steve and track five. And I yeah. asked you to pick a song that you would pick, if you were sort of romantically interest, interested in someone and you wanted to let them know, what song yeah. did you pick? Well, I picked a song um, off a quite an unremarkable musical that came out um, during the 1970s. And um, it was called The Phantom of the Paradise. And it was like a, it was like a sort of a variation on The Phantom of the mm. Opera. Um, it was, the music was written by Paul Williams, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, I actually Google this one as well, but um, like a, this little—is that his name? I keep now. I keep questioning myself if that's his name. It's like a little blonde guy. He's really short, little guy. He wrote songs for the Carpenters. Um, he wrote he wrote like Happy Days and Mondays and it he starred wrote, Paul, Paul Williams starred. 
Um, yeah. So um, he's the main character, Paul Williams. He, he, he's um, he's also stars in the movie as um, this sort of like satanic record company executive who runs this thing called Swan Records. Yeah. Anyway, he writes a song for this leading lady to sing in the in the film. And some of the songs in the film are pretty good, i got to say, but this one is like an absolute corker. It's like it's like a torch song that not many people know about, and the girl who sings it has got this beautiful, deep, resonant voice. She's got a voice. sweet voice, yeah. Yeah, and the arrangement, mm-hmm. the arrangement, and the lyrics are just absolutely mind-blowing. Um, and I, I would imagine that if you played this song to someone they would you said hey listen to this honey i guess <laughs> they, they would get the idea you know like it's like it's kind of smoldering and but it, once again it has a spiritual feeling it's a song about reincarnation um how how you know you'll come back and and it's it's not goodbye we'll come back and we'll meet mm-hmm. again um so of course because our sort of love goes on forever a beautiful song yeah. You touched on it a little bit there, Steve, regards the movie. I think from what I was reading about the movie, um, the actual movie itself didn't didn't get too many uh, sort of plaudits or, or critical acclaim when it came out. But the music, uh, I think, was was nom- Oscar nominated uh, and and Golden Globe nominated. I think the the music from the from the movie, but the actual movie itself was a bit sort of not really um, not really it, that well thought of. But it, look, look, it's a bit. I, I look, I went to the pictures and saw it. You know, the year it came out, one was so starved for any kind of music, you know, that without mm. computers and all that, if mm. a movie comes to your local cinema and it's about a um, rock star, Lucifer, yeah. you know, eternal yeah. love, sort of Phantom of the Paradise, I was yeah. really up for it. I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. It was a bit of a, it's a bit of a, it's a, com- it's a sort of a comedy and it's sent, it's very much of its time. But it sort of sends up David Bowie and glam rock. There's a guy, there's a guy in the musical that this guy writes. There's a musical within the musical. And the mm. guy writes a musical, and there's this singer called Beef. And he's like <laughs> a David Bowie. And he comes out this ridiculously sort of slightly muscly guy with a silly wig, sort of poncing yeah. and preening. And he he sings this song, Life at Last, Salutations from the Other Side. <laughs> and then while he's singing his song and, and prancing around, the phantom launches this prop piece of sort of lightning bolt at him and it hits him and electrifies him. And that's the end of him. I don't know. It's it's a kind of a silly, schmaltzy. Yeah. But there's, there's a beautiful moment when he... The Phantom, who now has eternal life through some terrible process, because he signed, he signed his soul to Swan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he signed his. And there's this really sad scene where he's up on the roof of Swan's house, looking down through a skylight during an afternoon afternoon rain thunderstorm. So he's up there wet, looking down as Swan's making love to the leading lady who was his girlfriend, his love. And and his song is playing and he's looking down and you see he takes out a knife and stabs himself and you see the blood on the window as the rain on the skylight right. as he's looking through wow. it. But he can't he can't die. He can't yeah. die. He's yeah. doomed yeah. to watch this. 
Um, yeah. And he had half his face burn off by a by a record plant. Mm. Anyway, look, if, if you get a chance to see, I will, this, I will definitely, hundred yeah, percent. You got me intrigued now. It's a yeah. lot of fun, and there yeah. there are some there are some really good songs. There's some really good songs on the on the soundtrack. Okay, we'll we'll kind of round it out there, Steve. Well, I was just going to ask you what's next. You mentioned the deluxe uh, release of Hypnagog and the US shows. Um, is that what's coming up and, and sort of back into 2023? And what you got going on I, after that? Yeah, I've I've got so many records on the boil. Um, I'm finishing <laughs> off a finishing off a record I started in Italy, um, which is a project I I have called Speed of the Stars. This is our second record. Mm-hmm. It's got an Irish musician. Um, Frank Kearns playing guitar and Barton Price and Hugo Race um, mm-hmm. are, are on it. Um, and and we, 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 we started that on a houseboat in Italy. Um, I'm also also have recorded a new album with Martin Kennedy, who lives in Hobart. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm tomorrow I'm going in to, to see, sing on some of these new church tracks. Um, I'm probably going to start on an um, look i've just got records all over the place mm-hmm. and and yeah. and there will be intermittent get gigs as they come yeah. to life you know that are, and then eventually back to america in october so um where's the best place for people to catch up with what you're up to steve instagram or or facebook or you've got a website where's the best place to go i have a a, a, a page. I hate saying this. A fan. I have a personal page and I have a fan page. Right, okay. It will be on Facebook, where I, I, if I'm doing a gig, I will definitely be posting on there. Yeah. Right, um, okay. Still. I also Facebook, have. Man. I also have um, accounts on on Instagram. You can find mm-hmm. me, personal and fan ones. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, you know, I. I use social media to let people know what I'm doing. Yeah. What I normally do, Steve, is um, in the link, uh, the description for the podcast, um, I'll always uh, put the links to your socials and your pages and websites and stuff in the description um, okay. as well. So everyone can, everyone can, can who's listening can, can link up with you there as well. Okay. Fantastic. All right. On that note, on that note, we'll call it a day. Thanks so much for making the time, Bye, Steve. Mark. I know you're a really busy man and um, I really appreciate you calling, mate. Cheers. No worries. See ya. Good luck, Steve. See ya, mate. That was a mixtape podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to jump up to the top of the page and smash that follow button and you'll be notified every time there's a new episode or follow me on Instagram at the mixtape perf. Until the next time.